0: Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast where Sarah isn't real. I'm just a very talented ventriloquist. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. Or am I? Do do I even really exist? It's nice to not be talking about France in the 70s. Seven- 1700s oh god that's right we get to talk about something other than aristocracy no one dies in this well no that's people die but it's like natural it's not like oh we had to eat dad or like oh she got her <laughs> head cut off because she like shoes too much it's <laughs> we had to eat dad i'm sorry i shouldn't be laughing what the grave sisters went through was dramatic <laughs> and awful um today we are going to discuss something that we've talked about before I don't know if you remember back in the day when the best place to record the podcast was in the bathtub in my studio apartment. I remember those days. I, I never actually had to record with you there, but I remember being a yes. listener during those days. It was during the, the Poltergeist episode when I briefly touched upon the story of Jeff the Talking Mongoose. <laughs> a story that I think I read in like just like a little blurb in some book I had when I was maybe eight or nine, and it scared me. I Weird. don't know why. It just really upset me for some reason. <laughs> um, I mean, when I first heard about it, it was the episode of Thinking Sideways that they did uh, f- forever and a day ago. Oh, yes. A great classic. I miss them. Too. So basically, Jeff deserves more, and I'm going to give Jeff more. Um, We're also not we. I. I'm not going to speak for you. I am not going to make a big show of debunking Jeff because this is supposed to be fun. I I will do my best not to ruin the fun. We will talk about some possibilities, but I'm not going to have a big section where it's like, here's why Jeff isn't real. I will say, just being me, I definitely don't believe Jeff was real. Let's, I guess, oh no, I'm going to cite my sources. I'm oh gonna yeah, do that. This time. So my sources are a Medium.com article called The Bizarre Case of Jeff the Talking Mongoose, a Mental Floss article called The Strange Story of Jeff the Talking Mongoose, a BBC Article called The Mongoose Case, Wikipedia, um, an article from a website called The Conversation called Eight Things You Need to Know About Poltergeist just in time for Halloween. Lovely. Uh, (laughs) Jeffmongoose.blogspot.com. I'm so glad Jeff finally got us on blogspot.com. And a wonderful book just called Jeff, The Strange Tale of an Extra Special Talking Mongoose by Christopher Joseph. I believe that's how it's pronounced he is uh, very special. Yeah, I love the it's Jeff uh, exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep, let's get into it. Um, the time, September 1931. The place, Dalby, the Isle of Man, United Kingdom, which the Isle of Man is a small island between England and Ireland. It's very rural, especially yes. in 1931. Oh, yeah. Also, I find it weird that um, this and, and the mini that you did in the future. Are both on islands. Are both in islands in the UK in the 30s. <laughs> so, yes, super rural island, the Isle of Man, a farming community. It's great. Um, a family residing at a remote hilltop farm known as Dorlish Cashen, which is Manx, which is the local language for Cashen's Gap. Um, I will probably refer to the farm mostly as Cashen's Gap because Dorlish Cashen makes me feel like I'm talking about Narnia. Um, Anyway, they began to hear mysterious blowing, spitting, and growling sounds. Ooh. Spooky. (laughs) Uh, Yes, the sounds were coming from behind the walls of their farmhouse. Uh, They initially blamed it on rats that had managed to squeeze into the gap between the house's stone outer walls and the wooden interior panels. Um, But the Irvings, the family, eventually realized that they had way bigger issues than a couple of rats. (laughs) A little backstory on the family. Um, The Irvings were not originally from Dalby, but had instead moved there from the mainland after Jim, the father, had lost his job. I believe, I've heard he was a traveling salesman, but I've also heard that he worked for a pipe organ company, which leads me to come to the conclusion that he was a traveling pipe organ salesman. I, I choose to believe this as well. I know times were tough in the Great Depression for traveling pipe organ salesmen. Yeah, the First World War kind of took a, a big toll on the, uh, the pipe organ industry, so he lost his job in the big city. Also, uh, that's going to be a rough adjustment, like moving to a very remote island because you're too poor. Oh, it comes up. So yeah, he decided to turn to farming, uh, and he was joined oh, in the move. That always works well. By his wife, Margaret, and their 13-year-old daughter, Vora, which is spelled V-O-I-R-R-E-Y. But I am pretty sure it's pronounced Fora. Very creative with names back in those days. Yes. Uh, so this whole thing went about as well as any big city boy goes to the country story goes. Badly. <laughs> the family struggled to make ends meet. They had no electricity, no phone, no radio. Their nearest neighbors lived over a mile away. And I imagine it was also pretty fucking boring. That Yeah, that does not sound... I mean, I would love to go live on an island in the middle of nowhere and just not talk to people. But... Not in those circumstances. I'd want Wi-Fi. <laughs> yes. That would be a require. So the strange noises persisted over the following days. Um, setting traps didn't seem to do anything, and in a moment of desperation, Jim growled like a dog at whatever it was in his walls. I mean, I guess if you're assuming it's an animal, and there's no reason to believe at this point that it isn't, uh, it's a better plan than nothing. To his surprise... It growled back. Oh, no. Uh, so the creature turned out to be an allegedly talented mimic and possibly intelligent. Um, Jim would make various animal and bird sounds and the creature would repeat them back. <laughs> uh, soon, he only had to name an animal and the creature would respond with the appropriate sound. The other, uh, at other times, it made a gurgling sound like a baby attempting to speak. Which is creepy. That I would not want to hear that coming from my walls. It's cute when it's coming from a baby, but uh, not not when there's not a baby. Uh, the Irvings took to calling the creature Jack and generally decided to leave it alone, um, as in not try to chase it away. Probably because it was a source of entertainment. And again, they were very yeah. bored. What else is there to do? Uh, so by way of an experiment, Vora asked the creature to repeat some nursery rhymes. And it did. <sighs> The creature spoke in a voice that has been described as, quote, two octaves higher than a normal voice. And eventually, it gained the ability to speak freely. The creature introduced introduced itself as Jeff, G-E-F.
1: I love the spelling of
0: that name, by the way. Jeff. Yes. Very iconic, honestly. It claimed to be a, quote, extra clever mongoose born in Delhi, India in 1852, and it had been chased from the country by a man in a green turban accompanied by a hunchback. I don't have any more information on that. What an origin story. Wow. Right? I love it. Though the, the clarification that Jeff was indeed a mongoose came a little later in his residence. Um, initially, he would reply with, quote, I am the ghost of a weasel, and I will haunt you with weird noises and clanking chains. Iconic. There's going to be a lot of Jeff quotes in here. Jeff is hilarious. I love Jeff. Uh, When someone asked, uh, that was his response when someone asked him what he was. Uh, It's thought that his change of identity came around the time when someone said that the, quote, pig faced creature described in a newspaper article about Jeff sounded more like a mongoose. I, I don't see the connection between pig faced creatures and mongoose. Weasels have a pointier snout and mongoose, mongoose, I think it's mongooses, um, have more of an upturned nose, like a pig nose. I have a kind of idea of what a mongoose looks like, but I am now going to have to uh, image search them. God, these fuckers are so cute. Right? They kind of got eyes that kind of go off in separate directions. It's really quite adorable. I love a good uh, member of the weasel family. (laughs) their little their little ears all right so while a weasel would have made more sense uh for the location a mongoose isn't completely out of place um they're not native to england and i assume prefer to stay in their natural warmer habitats of eastern europe africa and asia i guess eastern europe isn't super warm whatever um mongooses have been, had been introduced to the Isle of Man in 1912 to control the rabbit, rabbit population. Mm. Um, descendants of this original group may still be in existence today, and occasional sightings have still been reported. So, the concept of a mongoose being on the Isle of Man, not... Right. Like, they have documentation that it's been... Like, there were mongoose, I'm going to keep calling them mongoose, on the island at some point. Yeah, mongoose sounds better, let's be real. Whether it was a mongoose, a weasel, or a standard ghost, let's be real. Uh, Jeff was soon holding regular conversations with Vora and her father, though he seemed less friendly towards Margaret. Um, he began hiding out in an area near the ceiling in Vora's room, which the family called Jeff's Sanctum. It's a very uh, important sounding name for that's where a ghost mongoose lives. <laughs> Not Dr. Strange, is all, is all I'm saying. Yeah you imagine him in the little cloak though. <laughs> can now voiced by benedict cumberbatch doing like a falsetto and give me that like what if episode actually there <laughs> marvel mongies. um <laughs> there is a movie about jeff that's in the works <gasps> thank god i will pull up the information for the movie so i can talk about it later i don't want to spoil part of the story no we're oh oh no this is gonna be good we'll talk about the movie later okay okay anyways so jeff sanctum marvel long geese yes Yep. so although the whole family reported seeing glimpses of jeff only Vorro was allowed to look at him directly uh she described him as being the size of a small rat with yellowish fur a flat snout like a hedgehog and a long bushy tail gosh she sounds cute yeah, I and I also checked and mongooses do come in yellow. So, I'm assuming it's like blondish. Um, the Wikipedia page has like a yellow mongoose right on, yeah, right, on yeah, the, that's right on the cover. The the shade of of mongoose, I assume. He was also described as having stripes and spots. I've also heard that he had human hands? I don't like that. Like three fingers and a thumb human hands. I mean, they've got kind of little rat hands, which yeah. are close enough to human hands that I get it. Yeah, I think conceptually it works, but, like, yeah, it's creepy to think about. I, I, I found a picture of monkeys' hands that I'll send to you. <laughs> Just fill in the chat up with pictures of monkeys. My <laughs> God, they all look so funny. I love them. Love them so much. Little... Chubby bastards!
1: I'm literally yeah.
0: just scrolling up and down like the Google Images page, looking at pictures of monkeys. <laughs> so, so basically, the, the the summary of this is Jeff could be a mongoose <laughs> by the description that Vora has given. Yes, that does sound very mongoose-like. So the the book Jeff uh, had some great quotes from Jim from his journals because he he did keep a journal because there was nothing else to do um, about the first real sighting of Jeff. By him specifically um so one day uh, as james was sitting by the window he spied a quote very large cat striped like a tiger uh and the following is a extended quote from jim irving uh we ourselves did not possess a cat and i called for her to come to the window to look at it she did so and remarked on the size of the cat but more especially the unusually large bulldog head that it had is there any indication in any of the other descriptions that it was an especially big mongoose no, because Forrest described him as being small, and mongoose, yeah. uh, in general, are on the smaller side, which is... I was going to say, like, if you think it's big for a cat, then it's definitely way too big for a mongoose. Well, these discrepancies are, in his his look, kind of lend to the idea that Jeff wasn't actually a, a mongoose. Or, um, R, he was a shapeshifter. Well, yes. Uh, there are many things Jeff could have been. So, uh, James quickly realized that the cat was neither a regular cat, uh, nor a Manx tailless cat, which are big motherfuckers. Are any of those native to Scotland? Uh, this isn't Scotland. This is the Isle of Man. Oh, yeah. And Manx cats would be, uh, native to that island. Or at least the the surrounding area. So, he, Jim grabbed a shotgun and went outside intending to chase it away, uh, because they kept sheep. So, you know, big, big bitches, probably not a good idea. I was like, that's really unnecessary. What's it doing? But yeah, yeah, I guess if you got sheep, sheep are so dumb. (laughs) I cannot tell you how many sheep I snuck up behind in my (laughs) fucking Toyota Corolla that just like would not get out of the road. (laughs) I'm just like, no, this is where I walk. You can go around me. Thank you. Maybe they're not dumb. Maybe they're just confident. (laughs) I mean, you could say that about a lot of dumb people. That's true. They aren't they they can be inclusive of each other. <laughs> uh, so James uh, lost the uh, animal during the pursuit, um, but he said of it, quote, the cat was a little ahead of me, but easily within range, and it turned through an open gateway into a grass field. I was there a few seconds behind and fully expected to see the cat, but no cat could be seen, looked as I like. The field was level, and there was not a bush or any roughness where he could have hidden, and the hedges were all earth or sod hedges, as they're called here. I detailed my experiences to my wife on her return that night when Jeff called out, It was me you saw, Jim. <sighs> so, while Jeff never hurt the family, he was also kind of a little shit. On, <laughs> Jeff was actually a big shit, but... <laughs> on one occasion, Margaret found herself being pelted with stones as she walked home. She called out, Is that you, Jeff? To which he replied, yes, Maggie, the witch woman, the Zulu woman, the Honolulu woman. (laughs) Jesus. Jeff also delighted in throwing pebbles and sand up at the windows from outside, sometimes late into the night. Towards the beginning of Jeff's stay on the farm, his presence started to wear on the family. Because, you know, know, you're not used to it. Which caused them to put a piece of bread sprinkled with poison up in Jeff's sanctum. He reacted by screaming for a solid 20 minutes. <laughs> sorry, that's actually really funny. And then, uh, just wait. And then proceeded to amuse himself by sighing and groaning loudly for 30 minutes without pausing. Before confessing, quote, I did it for the devilment. God bless Jeff. <laughs> a, com- a comedian at heart. That's true. True humor. <laughs> it's be annoying for an hour straight. <laughs> Just because. <laughs> I feel like I should have a Jeff voice, but it is two octaves higher than a normal voice. And I don't know <laughs> if I can hit that. Just uh, go, go do some you know sound editing magic to it when you go back through. The only voice I can do other than my perfect Midwestern accent is, uh, <laughs> is Stitch. Which I don't think is going to work here. Oh, I think Stitch would be perfect. I don't know if I've done this on the podcast before, Holland. I, I don't think I've ever heard you. All right. I'll do it for the double belt. <laughs> That's a very good Stitch, but it's also incomprehensible. <laughs> yeah, I can also do Gollum, but it kills my throat. Oh, no, don't do that to yourself. There's a f- very fine line between Stitch and Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> The attempt on Jeff's life did make him a little aggro for a while. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. Um, he put up a little bit of an attitude and started doing more standard poltergeist stuff, and Vora was um, apparently a little afraid of him. James said in an interview, quote, On account of Jeff's menacing attitude, threats, and stone throwing, we decided for safety's sake to remove Vora's bed into our room and proceeded to do so. While dismantling the bedstead, Jeff, who was behind the wainscot, which I is part of a wall, I think, um, Jeff, screamed, stormed, and threatened what he would do to us. His voice was absolutely full of malice, hatred, and spleen, and he was striking the wainscot with his fist in the greatest violence. Yikes. When the removal had been completed, in a high-pitched voice, fairly trembling with rage, he screamed out, I'll follow her wherever you move her. Oh, that's... Not great. According to Jim, barricading the bedroom door with chairs and boxes only infuriated Jeff further. Quote, Soon we saw the top of the door bulging as though some terrific force were thrusting against it, but the door held. Then Jeff's queer high voice said, I'm coming in. A few seconds later, a heavy pot of ointment kept in the room crashed against the bedstead. Yeah, this would uh this would freak me out a little bit, I I have to say. It's it's your standard poltergeist stuff. Yeah. Eventually, Jeff promised to be less of a shit, and soon I became guess. a member of the family. Ah! During the day, he would roam the island, riding on the back of axles and buses, back axles of buses and cars. And in As the evening, do. he he would return home to share news and gossip that he had picked up on his travels. I love this. That's so useful. Uh, sometimes he would even read out items from the local newspapers. Uh, he once suddenly flew into a rage when he thought Jim was being too slow opening the morning paper and yelled, "Read it out, you fat-headed gnome!" <laughs> I love it As previously stated, Jeff was a little shit uh, and mm-hmm. loved to talk, occasionally being very rude, <sighs> saying things like, quote, "I have been to nicer homes than this. carpets, pianos, satin covers on polished tables. I'm going back there, ha ha." But he also said things that were terrifying, like, I could kill you all, but I won't. (laughs) Oh, Jeff. (laughs) It announces its presence by calling either myself or my wife by our Christian names, Jim Irving wrote in his journal. Its hearing powers are phenomenal. It is no use whispering. It detects the whisper 15 to 20 feet away, tells you that you are whispering, and repeats exactly what one has said. Just imagining hearing from the walls. I fucking heard that. (laughs) I'm here. Jeff enjoyed singing as much as talking, and his favorite song was Carolina Moon, which he would sing along with (laughs) on the gramophone. Uh, Sometimes he would bounce the rubber ball up and down in time to the music instead. He could also sing the Manx National Anthem, several hymns, and some fragments of a Spanish folk song. He's very learned mongoose. On one occasion, he rather offended Margaret by singing a lewd rendition of Home on the Range that he had apparently picked up from some local bus driver. Oh, God. I so badly, so badly want to know what the (laughs) lyrics to that were. (laughs) Margaret scolded him by saying, you know, Jeff, you are no animal. Uh, To which Jeff replied, of course I'm not. I'm the Holy Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Like half the stuff Jeff says could be ended with bitch. Yeah. What I a think cut Samuel up. L. Jackson would also be a good voice for yes. <laughs> Jeff the Top. Yes. Longest. Um, so Jeff brought rabbits home for Margaret to cook, uh, which he apparently strangled with his hands. Yikes. Yeah. Uh they said that when they found the rabbits laying out like on the doorstep, uh there was no like blood or anything on them, but their eyes were bulged out. That's deeply upsetting. I would not mm. like that. Um, In return, he was given snacks such as cookies, candy, and chocolate, um, though he was also fond of bacon and sausages. Who isn't? Loved candy, though. Um, The food would be left out for him on the crossbeams near the ceiling, and he would sneak out to grab it when he thought no one was looking. So, like I said, Jeff didn't keep his shenanigans on the farm. Um, Along with allegedly accompanying Vora into town, chattering at her the entire time, um, other nearby folks claimed to have seen him at work. Um, in an episode recording recorded in Jim's diary that was relayed to him by one of the men involved, uh, one of the gang of road wor- road repair workers was having lunch outdoors by the farm. He threw an unwanted piece of bread into a field. I don't know why. Why not? Uh, and was a- and was amazed to see the bread moving of its own accord, though there was no wind. And then in another case, a cousin of the Irvings uh, named Cyril Oates. <laughs> fucking farmer's name if i ever heard one sorry that's just a great name yeah uh he was tilling a field near uh Cashin's gap and a stone was thrown over the hedge at him and when he looked there was no one in the field and nowhere for anyone to have hidden a family friend named charles northwood came to visit and he heard jeff speak uh jeff took an instant dislike to him and at first he refused to talk at all but then yelled charlie my old sport clear to the devil if you don't believe Later, Jeff addressed him again. And this is a quote from Charles Northwood. Uh, From behind the boards in the sitting room, possibly some 25 to 30 feet away, I heard a very loud voice penetrating and with some malice in it. You don't believe. You are a doubter. This was very startling and for the first time put a bit of a shiver through me. I said, I do believe. (sighs) So, Jeff, um, Jeff likes to fuck with people. That's actually Jeff's whole thing is fucking with people. Which... Now is when we have to talk about what Jeff might have actually been, and the most obvious explanation aside from trickery is that Jeff was an extra clever poltergeist. I mean, I'm I'm not saying he isn't, but wasn't it more fun to think he's just an extra clever talking mongoose? Yes, it is. Um... So even after the relationship between Vora and Jeff became less strained and Jeff settled into being a member of the family, most of the activity did seem to center on Vora. Right. And because the parents never, like, saw, other than the weird, like, cat that they saw, never saw, like, a mongoose. No, they saw glimpses. So they really only had her word for it that that's what he was. Well, they would, as far as I know, see, like, glimpses of it, like a tail or, like, a pair of eyes or they'd see evidence of him but not a full on seeing Jeff that was only Vora that saw him um but the thing is like that's pretty much standard in poltergeist cases right because they don't really have like a physical form which yeah is my I, yeah that's one of the the things like poltergeists can make you see things but they aren't but they, they don't have they like, a form they never had a form yeah yeah so A lot of poltergeist cases have a focus on a young person who is, like, entering puberty, going through other emotional turmoil, uh, like in the Einfield and Black Monk of Pontefract cases. Like, those Mm -hmm. both centered around uh, girls who were, like, 12 to 13. Um, And some experts in poltergeist believe that adolescents are at the center of poltergeist activities because spirits are attracted to, quote, hormonal fluctuations and or resolved emotional stress. Repressed anger, hostility, and sexual tension. So teenagers, and uh, others argue that there are actually no spirits or entities involved, but it's all the individuals themselves that generate bursts of telekinetic energy. I, I've always kind of liked that theory of poltergeist, that it isn't necessarily an entity; it's something like being projected. Yeah, and like, yeah, I, I feel like that's a reasonable, a reasonable assumption. But when asked directly if he was a poltergeist, Jeff is said to have responded in the negative, saying, quote, I am not like one of those, and instead claimed to be like, quote, an Indian familiar, whatever that means. Sounds like some white people nonsense. (laughs) So, (laughs) this is all white people nonsense, Sarah, (laughs) please. So, if I'm being honest and a little woo-woo about it, Just a little. Both explanations make sense in this case. Vora was 13, Mm -hmm. which is already hard, on top of her family, had recently moved to a farm in the middle of fucking nowhere, away from all of her friends, everything she'd grown up with. Yeah, that sounds really miserable. No electricity, no radio, and it also makes a case for a bored, Mm -hmm. lonely girl making up a friend, but we will talk about that later, kind of. What I'm saying is, if it was a poltergeist, it makes sense. (laughs) As you can guess, word about Jeff eventually got out on the island, um, mostly because of Jim. He liked to talk about it. Um, as far yeah, as I know, Fora and Margaret weren't big on discussing Jeff with other people. Uh, the local. Especially when you're the one that's going to get blamed for being crazy about it. Yeah, that's the, that's the other thing that like gets me about like this, and the most haunting cases, honestly, like older yeah. ones, they don't gain anything from it, especially in a rural farming community. Like, yeah. You just get made fun of. Um, Pretty much. And and to that effect, the local Dalby paper, the Daily Dispatch, ran stories about Jeff, whom they called the Dalby Spook, uh, with headlines such as Man Weasel Mystery Grips Island Queerest Beast Talks to Daily Dispatch that Reporter. That is a wild headline from beginning to end. Yeah, Man Weasel Mystery <laughs> Grips Island is maybe one of the best headlines. Unsurprisingly, these stories led to Vora being teased yeah, at school. Of course. Um, I believe in the aforementioned uh, Manweasel article, the reporter specifically called out that Vora had no friends, Uh, possibly in retaliation for something Jeff had said while the reporter was at the farm. Uh, As the story goes, Jeff refused to speak with the reporter, and then, once he'd walked out the door, uh, the reporter overheard Margaret consoling Jeff, who said the reporter wasn't a believer and that men like him were liars. So, of course, as a reporter... Throw the whole family under oh, the bus. Yeah. I mean, why uh, not? The reporter mentioned in the article that Jeff was probably the work of Vora being a skilled ventriloquist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can also see that making sense from the perspective of you're 13 and you've just moved to this island and you have nothing else to do. So you might as well develop Here's some the thing. ventriloquist skills. I don't know why the first stop in debunking little haunted British girls is ventriloquism, because they did it in the (laughs) Einfield case, too. Like, is that a class that they have at public schools in England? Yeah, of course. There was never a point in my life as a little girl where I was like, you know what? That's a skill that I need to learn. (laughs) I want to learn ventriloquism. I just don't know why it comes up so much. And I don't know why, because they always called them skilled ventriloquists. And it's like, at what point do you think this 13 year old girl the was getting yeah, was she getting lessons that's something that you should probably look into if she's getting private ventriloquism lessons anyways i'll talk more about the ventriloquism angle later i just it sticks with me because <laughs> like i said they also use that as an excuse in the einfield case where like janet hodgson was using her like back vocal cords which mm-hmm. it's it's ridiculous to think about I mean, granted, I learned how to make balloon animals when I was younger. I know, us get into weird stuff sometimes. You know what? Sure. <laughs> it's a weird accusation. Um, so before too long, word about Jeff had spread to the mainland because in the early 1930s, there wasn't anything else to talk about. No, there was not. not. Like, no one gaining power in Germany that would eventually cause problems for the entire continent of Europe. Yeah, but that sounds boring. It is. Compared to talking mongoose. It's true. I would much rather read about Jeff the talking mongoose than Hitler. <laughs> Them's just the facts. So the, the word getting out on the mainland prompted Looky Loose to flood the island in hopes of getting a glimpse of Jeff. The attention came at a price for the Irvings as the constant stream of tourists annoyed their neighbors and actually ended up costing the family money due to property damage from visitors. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure no one's happy about that. No. Uh, The story did attract more refined and professional folks. Like Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, I'm just waiting for him to pop up. It seems like he would be definitely into this shit. (laughs) He would, but he doesn't pop up. Maybe he heard about it, but he didn't come investigate it. In 1932, famed psychic investigator Harry Price arranged for a colleague named Harold Dennis to come to Cashin's Gab to investigate the case. I guess... Harry Price's schedule was too full to go investigate a ghost weasel (laughs) he's a busy man Uh, so (laughs) well, someday we'll talk about the Borley Rectory but that was like Harry Price's pet project oh yeah Um, we should really just do an episode on Harry Price um, there is a made for English TV movie called like Harry Price Ghost Hunter and he's played by Rafe Spall Rafe Rafe, Raffy Rafe (laughs) I've never said it out loud which is very generous, if you know what <laughs> Harry Price looks like. I started it, but for some reason I didn't make it past the first five was minutes. It was boring. I think it might have been boring. I think it might have had more of a TV movie vibe than I had been hoping for. Right. But yeah, Harry Price is fascinating. He actually would be a very good person to do an episode on. I, I do want to talk about Borley Rectory. All right. So uh, Harold Dennis uh, conducted numerous interviews with the Irvings, as well as many local residents who had claimed to have heard Jeff or had other kinds of encounters which they had attributed to Jeff. Um because and I know I said that, you know, they didn't gain anything by talking about it cuz people would just make fun of it. It's still an isolated island in the 1930s. People were gonna believe in ghosts. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like it's not even just a rural thing, but like it doesn't hurt. <laughs> it's kind of like if you go like to the middle of buttfuck nowhere Oregon, like there's gonna be someone who has a story about seeing Bigfoot yep. and he will 100% believe it. They're just more open out there to That kind of stuff, not necessarily other stuff. We're not going to get into it. Anyways. um, So a sample of hair said to be Jeff's was sent down to the Zoological Society of London, and a plaster cast that James Irving claimed to be of Jeff's teeth and paws was sent to the Natural History Museum. Uh, The hair was identified as dog hair, uh, likely from the Irving sheepdog Mona. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Who is a very good girl. (laughs) I bet. Uh, The origins of the plaster imprints could not be easily determined, as they did not match any known animals, although it was stated that they in no way resembled the paws or teeth of a mongoose. So definitely some weird, creepy creature. I don't know, man-handed weasel? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was established that uh, Jeff didn't have normal hands. So so. that totally makes sense, and is reasonable. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff in this story where you find yourself being like, not technically <laughs> wrong ridiculous But not weird and silly but i won't de- but i can't that's it. the whole thing with this story is that yes it is weird and silly but like just because something is silly doesn't mean it's not true remember when that what molasses factory exploded yes. and like killed a bunch of people that's well, you know, silly for the death death, death. death. <laughs> Um, so, while physical evidence was lacking, Dennis did have some strange experiences during his visit to Cashin's Gap, um, and the following is a quote, or two quotes, from uh, Harold Dennis himself. Uh, we sat and talked until just about 11.45, and as nothing had taken place, I suggested making my way back to Glen May, which I assume is where he was staying. Uh, just as I had shut the door of the house, we heard a very shrill voice from inside scream out, go away! Who is that man? <laughs> Mr. Irving gripped my arm and said, that's it. If I was uh, Jeff, I'd be sick of people coming to (laughs) bother me as well. Uh, And then another quote. Shrill screams accompanied by terrific knocking, loud bangs emanated from all parts of the house in quick succession, as if the perpetrator moved with lightning speed. The bangs appeared to come from the roof, Mr. and Mrs. Irving's room, over the kitchen and on the staircase. The noise continued for about 15 minutes, culminating with tremendous bangs of if something had been thrown with great violence upstairs. So we went again to Vora's room and found that a heavy chair, which Mrs. Irving had placed on the staircase covering, had been flung from its place and fallen partly on the bed and partly on a chest of drawers. Vora, who was awake, said, oh, it's only some more of Jeff's tricks, but did not appear at all perturbed. This actually has a lot in common with the Einfield case. Mm Um, So this was apparently enough to get Harry Price out to the farm in person. Ah, finally, he has some time. Um, Yes. And he brought with him magazine editor and producer Richard Lambert. Uh, Their findings were less interesting, with Jeff refusing to speak to them due to Price's reputation for, quote from Jeff, putting the kibosh on spirits. (laughs) I love that Jeff has a beef with Harry Price. In 1936, Price published the results of his investigation in a book called The Haunting of Cashin's Gap, A Modern Miracle. Miracle big in quotation marks. Uh, oh, A Modern mm-hmm. Miracle Investigated. Sorry. Uh, it was a thin book, more of a novella, uh, that he co-authored with Lambert. Um, and although Price did not explicitly accuse the Irvings of perpetrating a hoax, neither did he validate their claims. In 1937, uh, this is a fun like little sidebar, Uh, In 1937, Richard Lambert brought an action for slander against Sir Cecil Levita after Levita suggested to a friend that Lambert was unfit to be on the board of of the British Film Institute. Uh, Levita said that Lambert was, quote, off his head because he had believed in the talking mongoose. I love all the drama. That's just that one little mongoose can cause. (laughs) The press dubbed the case the Mongoose case, and Lambert did win uh, quite a large amount in damages. And he was reinstated to the British Film Institute board. Um, so, as far as evidence goes, photos allegedly depicting Jeff are kept in the University of London's Harry Price archives, which I would love to see. Me too. I'm, I'm guessing they're not online, but I'm going to Google them anyway. Yeah, they are. Oh, they are? Yeah. <gasps> Um, so uh, there are also photos held in the archives for the Society of Cyclical Research, which uh, at least the last I like heard of them specifically mentioned was in the Einfield case. So they they were around for quite a while. They probably are still around. Uh, So they're one of the more prominent um, paranormal research groups in in England. Uh, But yes, uh, Jeff seemed reluctant to be captured on film. And James Irving wrote, Quote, Jeff is averse to being photoed, and if it were not for my wife's insistence and persistence, there would be no photos of Jeff, as Jeff obeys my wife only, and that is just within certain limits. He gave various reasons why he did not wish to be caught on camera, saying at one point, quote, this is my absolute favorite Jeff quote, I am a freak. I have hands and I have feet, (laughs) and if you saw me, you'd faint. You'd be petrified, mummified, turned into stone or a pillar of salt. He has such a way with words. Jeff is... Just a philosopher of our time. Uh, Photos from the Society for Cyclical Research's archives vary in quality, with one appearing to show something more akin to a stuffed animal. Like a stuffed toy, not like a taxidermied raccoon or something. Um, Another photo shows quite distinct stripes, while another looks a little bit like a cat, though in proportion to the surroundings, it is much smaller than a cat. Um, A shape in a different photo appears to have a long tail hanging down behind it. It has been suggested that these photos actually feature carefully arranged fox stoles, which would have been common in the 1930s. And Nandor Fodor, a psycho, a psychoanalyst... What a in- name. <laughs> what what Star Wars movie is he from? It's not the first time I'd heard the name Nandor, <laughs> but I had a very clear image of what a Nandor looked like in my head. And this man ain't it. <laughs> the discrepancy between Nandors that I know of is... Uh, large how do you know more than one nandor uh there's nandor the relentless oh, from what yeah. we do in the shadows and then there's nandor fodor <laughs> psychoanalyst Lovely. and paranormal investigator yeah um, I, I i did have to google him and he is not what you would expect a nandor fodor, fodor wow nandor fodor to look he's like. not ugly but like <laughs> anyway so so nandor um <sighs> He stayed with the Irvings for a week, kind of towards the end of, of Jeff's reign. Um, and he secretly went through all the drawers in the house while the Irvings were out, but failed to find any stoles. Which is... Okay. It's not surprising, because the Irvings didn't really have even stuffed toy money, let alone fox fur stole money. Yeah. that's a big investment to spend to... Improve prove your story about a talking mongoose. Yeah. I mean, it is possible that they might have fashioned something from rabbit skins because Fora hunted them in her spare time and, and Jeff reportedly brought them as gifts. Because um, there was a lot of rabbits on the island and you can sell rabbits. Mm-hmm. So it was a good good source of uh, income. Anyway, um, after concluding his week with the family, Nandor Fodor was a little more open to Jeff than Harry Price was. <laughs> Initially, he stated, quote, all of the prob- probabilities are against it, but all the evidence is for it. He showed himself as an animal. He had himself photographed as an animal. He has the abnormal hearing, eyesight, and suspiciousness of an animal. Remarkable animals are known to have existed before Jeff. The Eberfield horses could extract cube roots and communicate thoughts by striking in code with their hooves. Dogs have been taught to read and spell. Birds can speak the human tongue. But never has there been an animal as remarkable as Jeff. I love how he cites parrots. <laughs> you know, the concept of parrots. Um, <laughs> continuing the quote, do I believe in him? I have examined the evidence. I have tried all the possible solutions I could think of. None of them answers the case. All the evidence is in favor of Jeff's being a talking animal. I have not seen him. He will not talk to me. He claimed to be an animal, and I cannot disprove that claim. You know, it's nice to see some support from someone. Yeah. At least someone is in Jeff's corner, you know? And it's good. It's good to have Nandor Fodor in your corner. (laughs) Um, By 1952, Fodor had reconsidered his view, but not in the way that you'd think. Oh, God. While he still considered Jeff an animal, he now considered him an animal who had become physically possessed by a, quote, split off part of Jim Irving's personality. (sighs) That... That is just a little... Woo-woo no. for you? Yeah. Yeah. That gets just a little too off the wall. Um, well, here's another quote. I'll suspend disbelief for our talking mongoose. <laughs> That's just wild. Um, well, the following is his, a quote from Fodor on the subject. Um, as I look back as a psychologist on my memories of Irving, one fact stands out which my story does not reveal. He was a man who failed in life and whose many passions were too strong to bear this failure with resignation. As a commercial traveler, originally, his horizons were too wide, both physically and mentally, to reconcile himself to the cabin and confined life of a sheep and goat farmer in a godforsaken spot where he was constantly <laughs> struggling against physical starvation. Really just putting Jim on blast there, but yeah. not incorrect. Uh, the, the problem of mental starvation for a man of Irving's intelligence must have been even more serious. There was no way to relieve it by conscious means. So his unconscious took care of the job and produced the strange hybrid of Jeff, fitting no category of humans, animals, or ghosts, yet having common features with all of them. Had Irving been a student of cyclical research, the development of Jeff would have proceeded, I believe, on more occult lines. Now, it is weird, but uh, do you remember our episode on tulpas? Yes, I do. Um, I just like to present that as a possibility, like... Voter's oh yeah, like assessment of Jim being very smart and like trapped in this kind of shitty life, you know, and just being generally very repressed. I would imagine like yeah, there's it could be that the the family was bored and that they manifested Jeff. Yeah, and it's not like you're in a place like socially or culturally that you can really express yourself. Yeah. And I mean, Jeff kind of, Jeff kind of has that ventriloquist puppet vibe of like, <laughs> I say what I want, but you you have to be like, ah, Jeff, ah, you know, um, Jeff. So I mean, I don't, I don't think I necessarily agree with with Nandor Fodor like a hundred percent. But like, <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be my preferred theory. But like, I I see his logic. Yeah, s- stuff makes sense even if it. Doesn't feel like it should. So, around the end of the 1930s, uh, Jeff's visitations became less frequent, and Margaret and Vora eventually left the farmhouse in 1945 following James Irving's death. Um, He was sick. It was the 30s. What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, The following year, the new owner... it says here actor, but I googled it, and there was a famous motorcycle racer by the same name who lived on the Isle of Man, so I don't know what his profession was. A man of many talents. <laughs> yes. A man named Leslie Graham uh, bought the farm and claimed to have shot Jeff. <gasps> oh. But pictures of the dead animal showed it to be large, black, and white, and upon seeing the pictures, Fora Irving was adamant that the thing that Graham had shot was not Jeff. Well, that's good. I also don't like him just shooting random animals either, but I guess. Yeah, apparently Leslie Graham was an asshole, but... Sounds like it. um, So, eventually, Leslie Graham left Cashin's Gap as well, and the farmhouse was demolished. Jeff left no forwarding address. Jeff, I'm sure, is traveling the world. I have heard a theory that Jeff was kind of, like, poking through from an alternate dimension, or the astral plane, and that, as he stopped visiting the irvings more and more that was just him kind of going back to where he belonged kind of like um uh the clown that you hate the, the sandown clown the sandown clown like kind of like that like it might have just been he was misplaced from a different dimension yes that's a reasonable explanation for the sandown clown we're not going to get into it <laughs> um it is mentioned that when uh jim was sick and and a uh, near death that uh, his family reported hearing uh, the little scritches of feet and mm-hmm. something walking around in the beams. So uh, they thought that Jeff might have come to say goodbye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now I'm just sad. Well, in 1970, 40 years after this all started, journalist Walter McGraw interviewed Vora for Fate magazine. Um, this is the first interview that she had given. Uh, pretty much since the the Jeff business ended. Uh, and she still maintained that Jeff had not been a hoax, but she didn't remember her time with him fondly. Mm. She said, I was shy. I still am. And uh, Jeff made me meet people that I didn't want to meet. Then they said I was mental or a ventriloquist. And believe me, if I was that good, I would jolly well be making money from it by now. <laughs> I like her. Yeah, I get how that would not be fun, especially, like, as a little shy kid who just wants time to yourself to have that kind of attention for. Yeah. She went on to say, "Uh, Jeff was very detrimental to my life. We were snubbed. The other children used to call me the spook. I had to leave the Isle of Man, and I hope that no one where I work now ever knows the story. Jeff has even kept me from getting married. How could I ever tell a man's family about what happened? Oh, In response to McGraw's query as to whether Jeff had been a mongoose, Fora said, I don't know. I know he was a small animal, about nine inches to a foot long. I know he talked to us from the wainscoting. His voice was very high-pitched, and he swore a lot. At first, he talked to me more than anyone, and we carried on regular conversations. Um, And when asked straight up whether or not Jeff was a hoax, uh, Fora was very adamant and said, It was not a hoax, and I wish it had never happened. If my mother and I had our way, we would never would have told anyone about it. But father was sort of wrapped up in it. It was such a wonderful phenomenon that he just had to tell people about it. And she ended the interview by saying, yes, there was a little animal who talked and did all those other things. He said he was a mongoose and that we should call him Jeff, but I do wish he had let us alone. I feel like that's not Jeff's fault. I think that's definitely Jim's fault. (laughs) Yeah. Like you could have a talking mongoose and just keep that shit to yourself. (laughs) How many of us have had a talking mongoose and just kept it to ourselves? (laughs) Now, I don't care what you do in the comfort of your own home, but don't go bringing it out into the world. You're talking mongoose. There have been a million and a half explanations for Jeff, from poltergeist to bored family, and I'm not, like I said, getting into the grand debunking of Jeff, because I don't care. This is one of those things where it's like, the story is so fun, as is. Like, I'm not really interested in an explanation. Yeah. And the one thing I will say is that the idea that Jeff was 100% for being a very talented ventriloquist is stupid. Yeah. And I did some research and ventriloquism, because, like, they would say that they heard his voice coming from the walls and, like, from different rooms. And Mm -hmm. uh, ventriloquism isn't throwing your voice. Like, it isn't, you aren't, like, making your voice come from the wall. Like, that's not how it works. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, standard ventriloquism is producing sound without moving your lips and then using a puppet with its mouth moving to misdirect. That's all it is. Ah. Uh, so if you don't have something to misdirect. To, like, to look like it's talking. Yeah, because I, I, mean, I assume it has something to do with like the way our brain and our, our eyes and our ears are connected, where if... There's sound and someone is moving their lips, like your brain is going to shortcut that too. That's the thing. That's yeah, working. and as far as I can tell, throwing your voice is also about misdirection. So you'd be like, "Do you hear that thing in the wall?" And then they'd start talking. But with Jeff, he would just say shit. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not. I'm also not inclined to believe the ventrilo- ventriloquism. Ventriloqu- ventriloquism. Ventriloquism. Yeah. Jesus, I can't talk. Um. Because it doesn't sound like she wanted that kind of attention, so why would she keep doing it? Yes, I don't. Maybe Jim was a ventriloquist, sure, but not the girl. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pinning this on her is is insane. Um, I think the Mm -hmm. idea is more like, oh, a silly, bored girl would do this. Which again, just like in the Einfield case, when like the entire family was, you know, being attacked nightly by a ghost. Like I don't think. A girl would make like there's a stopping point, yeah. And like both Fora and the little girl in the Einfield case have admitted later on that like they got very tired of it and did not want it to happen. Mm-hmm. At some point, it stops being fun and just is an inconvenience to your life. Yeah. Also, I'm, I'm still only on, on the ventriloquist shit. I, whatever. uh There are two verified instances of Jeff's voice being heard when Fora was not present. Ah, okay. Good yes. Now. Um. So when uh, William, William Dennis, whatever, his last name was Dennis. Harry Price's assistant. Yes. Right? Uh, one of the, during one of these visits in 1935, he was inside the house and heard Jeff's voice saying, quote, plus fours, Oxford bags, which was a description of what Dennis was wearing. Um, and the voice seemed to be coming from behind the wall in the front room. And at the time, Mr. and Mrs. Irving were in full view and Vora was visibly over 100 feet away outside the house. Feeding the hens. Yeah, so definitely not for. Not I think we can agree on that. Yeah. Uh, on another occasion, Dennis and James were outside, about 80 feet away from the house, and knowing Vora to be indoors, and Jeff's voice could be heard calling them close by. So, fuck y'all, Jeff is real. Now we're going to read some Jeff quotes <laughs> to close out the episode. Lovely. <laughs> Quote number one. Um, apparently Jeff had some health problems, and uh, during one, yeah. when a- Loud bronchial cough filled the house for days on end. Jeff is noted to have said, Jim, I have a goddamn cough. I have a hell of a <laughs> cold. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. Why that just so tickles me. Uh, and then another instance, upon being told by Jim, we are going to have a dictaphone record your voice, Jeff said, Who's we? <laughs> is it that spook man Harry Price? Why, I won't speak into it. I'll go and smash his windows. I'll drop a brick on him as he lies in bed. <laughs> me, at the age of 83? <laughs> uh, it's just the, yes. who the fuck is we, Jim? I'm here for the beef between Jeff and Harry Price. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll talk about the movie in a second. It's was great. Another quote. I have three attractions. I follow Vora, ma'am gives me food, and Jim answers my questions. Which I just thought was very cute. That was cute. Um, Upon suspecting Jim of trying to look directly at him. You're looking. Stop looking. Turn your head, you bastard. I cannot stand your eyes. (laughs) So dramatic. Oh, oh! here's a quote about Jim's backstory. Um, I was brought to England from Egypt by a man named Holland. When I was in India, I lived with a tall man who wore a green turban on his head. Then I lived with a deformed man, a hunchback. Like the Phantom of the Opera. Jeff in the little half mask. <laughs> um, after being asked where he would go when he died, to hell, the land of mist. Duh. Which not to bring up the Einfield case again, but poltergeists during like in England in this time period had dope ass responses. Because what was the what was the one that the Einfield poltergeist said? Why he didn't move on? He's like, I'm not a heaven man. Ooh which is scarier than, yeah. than jeff's thing but like pretty fucking metal <laughs> um and then finally our new t-shirt design oh great avalon if you could draw some a mongoose with man hands and the quote <laughs> please don't draw him with man hands and the quote if you knew what i know you'd know a hell of a lot <laughs> i love that i love that so much uh, and that is Jeff, the talking mongoose, the very real Darby spook. Dolby spook. Sorry. I'm so excited that I got to download all of that information out of my brain. Uh, I've, I've known a lot about Jeff for a long time. <laughs> I I am more in love with Jeff than ever. What a cut up. He's not so scary. So in, in the film, the casting for the film is amazing. Um, Dr. Harry Price will be played... Oh, first, the the movie is called Nandor Fodor and the Talking Mongoose. Brilliant. Um, And it is directed by a man who has not done anything else that I've seen, so never mind. Harry Price will be played by Christopher Lloyd. Brilliant. Nandor Fodor will be played by Simon Pegg. Love it. Love it. Uh, Harry Houdini's gonna be in it. Of course. Uh, Yeah, he was big into that shit. I didn't even come across his name at any point during my research, but... He, you know. Yeah, he liked to go around debunking things. Yeah, that was kind of his thing. But more importantly, Jeff will be voiced by Neil Gaiman. Inspired. It's, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm very excited. When is this movie excited. coming out? Production status completed. Ooh, soon. Trivia. There's one piece of trivia. Is that Nador Fodor is the greatest name ever? No, Christopher Lloyd and Simon Pegg have both appeared in the Star Trek film series. Oh, well... <clears throat> It's like the most boring kind That's of That's not trivia. trivia. Can, That's just looking at IMDb. Yeah. yeah. There's uh, no word on when this is going to be released, but... Well, I hope it's very soon, because... Let it be known, I will be waiting outside the theater for the yes, midnight showing. For sure. But yeah. Do you have any thoughts on Jeff? Um, I love him. Yeah, I think it's more fun to just to just accept that Jeff was a thing yeah. and not try to think too hard about... Because, like, either it's a poltergeist, which is fun, a tulpa, which is weird, but, like, fine. He's just, like, he's got a personality. Yeah, an actual talking mongoose. Yeah. I love, I love a paranormal entity that has a personality. Yeah, or, you know, he was made up by Jim Irving, but still just the lore and the quotes associated with Just the world building around Jeff? Perfect. So, like, Jim Irving put in some great work, if this is all just made up. Uh, Granted, he kind of ruined his daughters' and wives' lives, but I mean, that's that's been for you. That's show business. You think Steven Spielberg's family loves? (laughs) They do. (laughs) They probably do. You think Jim Henson got along with his family? No. Anyway, um, if you have any theories on Jeff that we did not cover, I would absolutely love to hear them. Um, We are on Twitter at Afternoonify, but I never checked that. So you're probably better off messaging at at Afternoonify on Instagram or uh, Afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, uh, getafternoonified.com. You can also get to merch there. We have some fun, cute new merch. Uh, We also have some stupid new merch, depending on the flavor that you're going for. I definitely want some Jeff merch, so Avalon, for real. (laughs) I like how it's just like, Avalon, do this for free. (laughs) I'll pay you. I don't know what your rate is, but I'll pay you. (laughs) um anyway rate subscribe review all of that fun stuff and we will see you next week for a mini and then Marie Antoinette part 4 goodbye (laughs) she was just kidding we're done with Marie Antoinette I promise goodbye we love you